Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to say how much fun it was seeing some of you at CrimeCon house arrest last month. I'll be at CrimeCon in Austin, Texas next year, and I hope to meet more of you there. Go to CrimeCon.com for details about the event and use promo code MURDERISH20 for 10% off of a standard badge. That's CrimeCon.com promo code MURDERISH20 for 10% off a standard badge. Hope to see you there. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. September 8, 2017 marked the last time anyone heard from 33-year-old Taylor Wright. The former police officer and current private investigator seemingly vanished, but not before she sent a perplexing text message to a loved one saying she needed time away to think. Where could Taylor have gone? Was this an impulsive getaway stemming from a midlife crisis? Or had something far more ominous transpired? Against all odds, the truth always has a way of coming out. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I walk you through the case involving Taylor Wright. case takes us to Pensacola, Florida. Located in the western region of the Florida Panhandle, Pensacola includes both a cityscape and a shoreline. Often referred to as the City of Five Flags, Pensacola is occupied by over 50,000 residents who are both ethically and economically diverse. The city is known for its pristine white sand beaches and nature preserves, which feature the Gulf Coast's diverse animal inhabitants. Bordering the Alabama coast, the city is infused with a southern charm that is absent in other parts of the Sunshine State. On September 8, 2017, resident of Pensacola, Taylor Wright, was planning to go to the bank with a friend. But when Taylor wouldn't respond to numerous text messages or calls from a loved one, worry started to set in. It wasn't like her to just go silent for hours on end. Finally, at 8 o'clock that evening, Taylor's loved one received a surprising text message from her. In the text, Taylor said she needed time to think and get her life on track. No messages would be received from Taylor after that. In fact, nobody would ever hear from the 33-year-old mother again. Taylor Wright, a native of Jacksonville, North Carolina, earned an undergraduate degree in criminal justice and had always dreamed of becoming a police officer. In the fall of 2003, while she was still in college, she met the man she would eventually marry, Jeff Wright. Taylor's dreams came true after graduation when she was inducted into the Jacksonville Police Academy. Along with other new officers, She was trained in physical combat and the use of firearms. Taylor served on the Jacksonville Police Force from 2008 to 2013. She went on a brief hiatus when her son, Drake, was born. Ten years into her marriage to Jeff, the relationship had soured. 
By early 2017, Jeff and Taylor were in the process of a bitter divorce. The main sources of conflict were money and who would get custody of Drake. During this time, Taylor moved to Pensacola, Florida to start a new life. There, she began working as a private investigator. In her new surroundings, Taylor met a woman named Cassandra Waller, and soon, a romance developed. Their relationship blossomed, and the pair decided to move in together. One of Taylor's closest friends was a woman named Ashley MacArthur. Ashley was a crime scene technician for the Escambia County Sheriff's Office for several years until she resigned in 2006. She was also the heir to her family's business, Pensacola Automatic Amusements. The company rented out various machines to local businesses, including air hockey tables, jukeboxes, pinball machines, and electronic dart sets. It was a lucrative business that kept Ashley financially comfortable. Taylor would often go on trips with Ashley, which was allegedly a source of jealousy for Taylor's girlfriend, Cassandra. In 2007, Taylor's friend Ashley met Zachary MacArthur. The couple got married three years later and went on to have a daughter together. Zachary, who went by Zach, was Ashley's second husband. Zach and Ashley's relationship was not a conventional one. They had an open marriage, which enabled either of them to have side relationships. By all accounts, however, Ashley was the only one who benefited from the open arrangement. On the side, Ashley was dating a man named Brandon Beatty, a bar owner and convicted felon. As tokens of her affection, Ashley bought Brandon an $8,000 motorcycle and a $30,000 boat. In February of 2017, money became a real problem for Taylor. She owed back payments of child support and her ex-husband, Jeff, frequently took her to court over the matter. Every time, however, Taylor failed to show up for the hearing. Jeff even filed a motion for contempt in Okaloosa County, Florida, but it accomplished nothing. Again, Taylor was a no-show in court. Then, in July of 2017, Taylor withdrew a large sum of money from the joint checking account she and Jeff shared. She gave her good friend, Ashley, $34,000 of that money and asked her to keep it in a safety deposit box before Taylor and her ex-husband's assets could be divided. Jeff, however, noticed the disparity very quickly, and soon, Taylor was under court order to return the funds to their joint account. On September 8, 2017, Taylor spent the day with Ashley, and the pair were supposed to go to the bank to retrieve the money that Taylor had asked Ashley to keep safe for her. Throughout the day, Taylor's live-in girlfriend, Cassandra, had called and sent text messages to Taylor, none of which received a response. Toward the end of the day, Cassandra grew worried after not receiving any response from Taylor. Then, at 8 p.m., Cassandra finally received a response from her girlfriend, although it wasn't the response she was expecting. Taylor responded saying she needed to take time for herself. Although this must have come as a shock to Cassandra, 
She allowed Taylor some space. However, after almost a week of not hearing from her girlfriend, Cassandra decided to call authorities on September 14th and file a missing persons report. I spend so much time in front of a screen, slowly getting the life sucked right out of me. But when I play Best Fiends, my brain is actually engaged. Best Fiends is a fun mobile puzzle game that kills time, pun intended, and entertains me while also exercising my brain cells. Seriously, the game is so challenging and Best Fiends always keeps things fresh with new levels, events, and challenges all the time. I have friends who also play the game and we've got a friendly competition going. I won't mention who's in the lead because, well, it isn't me. But anyway, this game is so hard to stop playing. I've played it while standing in line at the grocery store, during TV commercials, and in between recording sessions for Murderish. Best Fiends is such a welcome distraction, especially during this crazy time we're in now. And you actually have to use your brain to advance to the next level. No more staring at your phone like a zombie, losing brain cells. Engage your brain with Best Fiends and kick your friends' butts in a fun but challenging game. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Everyone is binging TV right now, so you've probably run out of things to watch. Well, you actually haven't. Acorn TV offers a huge selection of really great international TV content. With Acorn TV, you get commercial-free streaming with content that is rooted in British television, like top-rated mysteries, comedies, dramas, and so much more. After you sign up, I suggest checking out Acorn TV original, Mystery Road, which the New York Times dubbed a visual knockout. The show takes place in the Australian outback, where a detective, played by Oscar nominee Judy Davis, pairs up with a local cop to look into the case of two boys who vanished. I was in a huge TV rut, but then I found Acorn TV, and now I have so much binging to look forward to. The pricing is so reasonable. For just $5.99 per month, you can stream Acorn TV on all of your favorite devices. Escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use my promo code MURDERISH. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV, code MURDERISH to get your first 30 days for free. Because Taylor's last text message indicated that she was taking time to herself, Cassandra didn't think anything ominous had happened at the time. When she finally reported her girlfriend missing, Pensacola Police Department investigators initially believed that Taylor left town on her own accord. But when lead detectives Richard Gigliotti and Jeff Brown interviewed Taylor's foster mother, Nancy Murchison, she made it clear this behavior was completely out of character. Nancy indicated that Taylor would never leave town without reaching out to her son and letting him know. After speaking with Nancy, and given the span of time that no one had heard from Taylor, investigators began to suspect foul play. The day after Taylor was officially reported missing, detectives conducted their first interview with her close friend, Ashley. 
This seemed like a logical starting point, as she was the last person to have seen Taylor before she disappeared. According to Pensacola News Journal, Ashley told investigators that she never saw Taylor again after they spent the day together on September 8th. According to an Oxygen Network article, Ashley also said that Taylor was having an affair with another woman while living with Cassandra. She said Taylor had told her about frequent arguments over the alleged infidelity. To authorities, this was a potential motive and warranted further investigation. Given Ashley's statements, detectives then brought in Cassandra Waller for questioning to explore the idea that she may have discovered her girlfriend's alleged infidelity and killed Taylor out of jealousy. Cassandra said that in the days leading up to reporting Taylor missing, she had called local hospitals trying to locate her. Cassandra also said she reached out to Ashley to find out if she knew where Taylor was. During that conversation, Ashley echoed Taylor's last text message, saying Taylor had been stressed out and crying all day and needed time to herself. Cassandra told detectives that she and Taylor were supposed to have dinner the night she went missing and that it seemed off that she would cancel plans and cease all communication. Taylor's case soon became very tricky for investigators as there were a number of potential suspects. As is typically the case when an adult goes missing, investigators look into the person's romantic partner. As such, early on in the investigation, law enforcement obtained a search warrant for the apartment Cassandra shared with Taylor, where they found potentially damning evidence. In addition to Taylor's passport and some cash, investigators found a gun with a bullet missing from the chamber. When questioned, Cassandra admitted she purchased the gun after Taylor admitted she had gotten violent with her ex-husband in the past. She owned the gun as a protective measure. Although their relationship baffled police, Cassandra's alibi held up, and she was ruled out as having any role in Taylor's disappearance. Cassandra had her own idea regarding who may have harmed her girlfriend. In this interview with detectives, Cassandra cast the focus toward Taylor's ex-husband, Jeff Wright. He was at odds with his ex-wife after a vicious battle over their assets. Officers agreed it would make sense for him to have a vendetta against Taylor. Yet when detectives questioned him, they discovered he had moved on. He was recently remarried. He also swore he was out of town on the day Taylor went missing. As it turned out, Jeff was being honest. His alibi was confirmed, and he was no longer a viable suspect. Frustrated and with no other leads, investigators pivoted back to Ashley MacArthur. Further scrutiny of Taylor's best friend was worth a shot, especially since her account of what happened the day she and Taylor hung out seemed to change quite a bit from one statement to the next. After further questioning, Ashley added new details to her story, seemingly important details that were never mentioned during her first interview. According to an article from the Oxygen Network documenting the case, Ashley now told investigators that Taylor seemed stressed after their meeting and had gotten into an Uber to get a drink. 
She also claimed that on the day they hung out, Taylor had taken the money she'd temporarily given to Ashley for safekeeping, put it into a duffel bag, and took it with her when she left Ashley's house. She said this despite the fact that in her first interview, she told detectives that she had stepped away for a moment and her friend was simply gone. Weeks after Taylor had vanished, the Pensacola police were finally granted access to Ashley's phone and bank records. Although a search of the MacArthur's home had left authorities with no physical evidence, access to their phone log and bank account records would prove abundantly fruitful for investigators searching for answers regarding Taylor's disappearance. The phone and bank records did not coincide with Ashley's statements to investigators. In fact, the records revealed a string of lies Ashley had been telling them. Although Ashley said that Taylor left her house with a duffel bag full of cash, bank statements revealed that $34,000 had been deposited directly into Ashley's bank account. Security footage pulled from her bank's ATM offered visual confirmation. And over the course of several weeks, that money had been spent. It had not been kept in safekeeping as Ashley had promised Taylor she would do. Phone records showed that Ashley made several calls from a different part of town than where she claimed to be the day Taylor went missing. Cell phone pings were traced back to a horse farm in Cantonment, a North Pensacola suburb. The 23-acre wooded property happened to be owned by Ashley's aunt, Kara Britt. Ashley was often a visitor as she owned a horse on the property. In addition, the day after Taylor disappeared, her cell phone was tracked to a signal in Robertsdale, Alabama, where Ashley just happened to be attending a wedding. It was clear to detectives that Ashley had possession of Taylor's phone after she went missing. Aside from casting strong suspicion on Ashley, the phone and bank records also enabled authorities to cancel out Ashley's husband, Zach, as a potential accomplice. The focus was squarely on Ashley. With the cell phone pings pointing investigators toward a specific area, three different properties owned by Ashley MacArthur's relatives were searched. On October 18th, in a strategic move, Ashley was summoned to the police station for further questioning. This was done in order to keep her out of the way while searches of her family's properties could be carried out. The initial searches, however, left investigators disappointed as no evidence was found. Having nothing on which to hold her, law enforcement were forced to release Ashley. However, a second search of Kara Britt's farm provided a treasure trove of evidence and unveiled a very dark truth. On October 19, 2017, a fish and wildlife officer happened to be in the area of Ashley's Aunt Kara's property on Britt Road. While there, he noticed a disturbance in a large patch of grass and immediately notified authorities. The use of cadaver dogs had previously proved futile. But this stretch of uprooted soil led to the discovery of human remains. 
Among other parts of the body that had skeletonized, investigators noted the skull had an interior bullet hole. They immediately speculated the victim had been shot in the back of the head. According to news network WKRG, after exhuming the body, which was wrapped in a hammock and covered with concrete and potting soil, forensic investigators found one more piece of evidence. They noticed a necklace looped around the neck of the deceased. A month after she went missing, authorities had finally discovered what became of Taylor Wright. They confirmed her identity both through dental records and by locating a photo of Taylor wearing the necklace found at the crime scene. This, according to a police report obtained by WKRG. On October 20th, police obtained an affidavit to seize Zach MacArthur's Ford F-250 truck. Ashley had been driving it the last day Taylor was seen, so it stood to reason there could be forensic evidence inside. Unfortunately, no useful evidence was obtained from the vehicle. The items crime scene technician Jennifer Wilkerson examined, among them live rounds of ammunition, work gloves, and a raincoat, carried no interpretable DNA. The 20th also marked the date that Ashley MacArthur was arrested on charges of first-degree murder. She was held at the Escambia County Sheriff's Office with her bond set at $1 million. Taylor's family and friends were overcome with grief at the news that she had been murdered. In an interview with ABC3 News, Taylor's foster mom, Nancy Murchison, said, I'm devastated. I need answers. I want to understand. When asked how she felt about Ashley MacArthur, she responded with, She's a horrible, evil person, and quite frankly, I hope she rots in hell. Taylor's girlfriend, Cassandra, who was once considered a suspect, shared her sentiments with a news outlet in a written statement. It read, Family, friends, and myself are grieving the loss of Taylor. Taylor was outgoing and kind to anyone she met and knew. We pray that justice will be served. On November 7, 2017, a grand jury returned an indictment against Ashley for first-degree premeditated murder. A few months later, in February of 2018, Judge Jan Shackelford granted her pretrial release on $400,000 bail with the condition she consented to GPS monitoring and stayed with her mother in Gulf Breeze. In a bizarre turn of events, and completely unrelated to the murder charges, in March of 2018, Ashley was charged with arson, racketeering, and fraud. As it turned out, long before she had allegedly murdered her friend, Ashley had been skimming money off of her family's business. According to the Pensacola News Journal, from 2015 to 2017, she had been embezzling thousands of dollars from rented jukeboxes at two local businesses. Her family business, Pensacola Automatic Amusement, had earned a trustworthy reputation for over 40 years, and Ashley's greed had forever tarnished it. The public would later learn that Ashley's greed went far beyond stealing from her own family. Suspiciously, on the day Ashley was scheduled to meet with local businesses about their missing revenue, a fire had broken out at the business headquarters. 
On January 25, 2019, Ashley was convicted of racketeering and fraud. On the arson charge, however, Ashley was acquitted because it was too difficult to prove her involvement. For the racketeering and fraud convictions, Ashley was sentenced to seven years in state prison and three years of probation. But she still had more charges to answer to. She had not yet gone on trial for the alleged cold-blooded murder of her good friend, Taylor Wright. The trial for the murder of Taylor Wright began on August 26, 2019, seven months after Ashley's conviction for fraud and racketeering. One of the defense's primary arguments revolved around the lack of physical evidence in the case. Defense attorney Barry Barrisett pointed out that no murder weapon was found. There was also no DNA evidence linking his client to the crime scene. According to the Pensacola News Journal, Assistant State Attorney Bridget Jensen focused on the vast amount of circumstantial evidence implicating Ashley in Taylor's murder. The prosecution started by focusing on Ashley's extensive knowledge of what investigators look for when searching for a body. As a former crime scene technician, whose role is to document, collect, and process evidence at a crime scene, Ashley knew exactly what type of evidence could tie her to the murder, and likely used this knowledge to commit murder and get away with it. I love any service that allows me to take care of business without leaving my house. With Stamps.com, I'm able to print U.S. postage right from my home printer wearing my PJs and not having my feet go numb from standing in line for a million hours. Instead, I use Stamps.com to ship letters and packages via USPS or UPS, and I get discounts every time through my subscription. Whether you're a business owner who ships often or someone who plans to ship a lot of packages for the holiday season, Stamps.com will be a huge game changer for you. Imagine the crazy lines at the post office. Now, imagine you avoiding that stress and shipping packages from home instead. It is a serious no-brainer. And with Stamps.com, I save five cents on every first-class stamp, up to 40% off priority mail, and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my promo code MURDERISH, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in MURDERISH. That's Stamps.com, enter MURDERISH. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Jensen also displayed PowerPoint slides to the jury containing Ashley's phone and banking records. She emphasized how this information demonstrated a very clear motive. Ashley murdered Taylor explicitly for financial gain. The defense, however, retorted, saying that Ashley didn't need the money. She was considered financially secure due to the success of her family's business, 
and was known to be very generous with friends. Regardless of motive, the state presented other evidence casting Ashley in an incriminating light. On September 9th, the day after Taylor disappeared, Ashley was captured on video surveillance at home repair retail chain Home Depot. The location of this particular store was not a convenient distance from Ashley's house. On camera, she was seen purchasing concrete and potting soil, materials found at the crime scene used to conceal the victim's body. Defense attorney Barry Barisette countered by saying the type of concrete found covering Taylor's body was most likely not the same type as the concrete she was seen purchasing on video. But this argument was a flimsy one. Even if his assessment was correct, it would have been an extremely unusual coincidence that Ashley happened to be purchasing concrete for other purposes the day after her friend vanished. Jury members and courtroom spectators alike listened intently when Taylor's ex-husband Jeff Wright took the stand. In a segment documented by Court TV, he testified the last time he saw Taylor was in August of 2017 in Jacksonville, North Carolina. They had crossed paths while exchanging their son, Drake. He conveyed his ex-wife's lack of compliance in paying child support and her unwillingness to attend court dates. Despite his frustrations over those matters, Jeff was genuinely concerned when he heard of Taylor's disappearance, and he had reached out to her friends via text and Facebook to see if anyone had information. The prosecution continued presenting evidence that did not look good for Ashley. In a segment recorded by Law & Crime Trial Network, crime scene technician Carrie Willis testified about personal items located during an October 21st search of the Pensacola Automatic Amusement Warehouse. Tucked in a corner and obstructed by storage totes were a gun locker and a police ID from Jacksonville, North Carolina, belonging to Taylor Wright. But there was more. According to ABC3 News, while hanging out in a bar a few days before the crime, Ashley had asked her friend Audrey Warner how much cocaine would be required to kill somebody. According to Audrey's testimony as broadcast by the Law and Crime Trial Network, Ashley also told her the world would be a better place without Taylor. The two women proceeded to purchase $250 worth of cocaine from a dealer after leaving the bar. The next night, when Audrey asked Ashley what she did with the cocaine, Ashley confessed to putting it in Taylor's drink the next night, but she spit it out because it tasted sour to her. This detail implied that shooting Taylor in the back of the head had possibly been a backup plan. Either way, it amounted to premeditated murder. In police interview footage prosecutors played for the jury, in a series of interviews broadcast by the Law & Crime Trial Network, Ashley told investigators she could see Taylor disappearing for a month as part of a chess game with Jeff to avoid being prosecuted for withholding money. In the footage, Ashley can be seen laughing and interacting with detectives in a lighthearted way. In her account of events on the last day Taylor was seen alive, she said her friend's behavior was normal and they stopped at a farm in Milton to ride horses. 
Of course, cell phone tracking would later refute several details of her account. In one police interview, after being asked what she thought happened to Taylor, Ashley responded, I don't believe Taylor's been harmed. I think Taylor is doing what Taylor does, but I don't know, you know. She always comes across as being tough. She's always carrying weapons, whether it's knives or guns or whatever. She's not an easy target. One major aspect was missing from all the interviews, though. A confession. Ashley never even came close to admitting she was involved in Taylor's death. Ashley's cousin, Kyle Britt, was called to testify. He lived on the Britt Road property after transferring to a nearby college. He had been in Pensacola since August of 2017 and tried to reconnect with family members, including Ashley. During his testimony, which was recorded by the Law and Crime Trial Network, he told jurors about a text message he received from Ashley the morning after Taylor disappeared. She said she was on the Britt Road property, which was unusual because Ashley typically wasn't a morning person. It was also not a planned visit. It turns out that Ashley had returned to the farm three times after her friend went missing. Another key witness was Ashley's boyfriend, Brandon Beatty. In his testimony recorded by the Law and Crime Trial Network, he recalled asking Ashley if she knew what happened to Taylor. According to his testimony, she responded with, They'll never find that bitch. She's gone. This statement made someone in the courtroom gasp, causing the judge to issue a reprimand against reactions. Three witnesses for the defense, however, testified about how Ashley was physically incapable of committing the crime with which she was being charged. She had chronic back problems stemming from a car crash in 2010. As documented by ABC3 News, witnesses insisted Ashley would not be able to lift a 50-pound bag of cement. Local chiropractor Dr. Tom Roberts served as a medical consultant for the defense, confirming rigidity in her lower back and neck, as well as a high incidence of muscle spasms. But, as revealed by the prosecution, Ashley had not seen this particular doctor in over seven years. Detectives Richard Gigliotti and Jeff Brown, who led the investigation, testified about photos they saw on Ashley's phone that disproved the notion that she might be physically handicapped. The photos served as visual documentation of Ashley's active lifestyle, depicting her scuba diving, hiking, fishing, and riding a horse. One of the photos presented to the jury nearly caused a mistrial. On the fourth day at trial, a photo was accidentally flashed on screen of Ashley wearing camo and holding a gun. The trial was delayed for several days, while Judge Shackelford considered whether the photo could impact the jury's perception of the defendant. Ultimately, she determined that this error did not warrant a mistrial, and the trial continued on. Ashley's mother, Rhonda, took the stand late in the course of the trial as a witness for the defense. In her testimony recorded by Law and Crime Trial Network, she confirmed she never saw her daughter lift heavy items, such as bags of concrete. She had these recurring back problems since the car accident. 
But on that same day at trial, Detective Jeffrey Brown presented text messages exchanged between Audrey and Ashley the day after Taylor went missing. In the text exchange, Audrey asked why Ashley sounded so winded when she called, and Ashley responded that she had picked up a saddle. According to the website Equine Helper, Western saddles can weigh up to 60 pounds. If Ashley was telling the truth on the phone, this completely countered the argument that she was not physically capable of lifting heavy objects. With Detective Brown's testimony, the prosecution likely made the jury wonder whether Ashley was actually winded at that moment, not from lifting a horse saddle, but from lifting Taylor's body. The trial came to a close on August 30th after five days of eyewitness testimony. In closing arguments, shown on the Law and Crime Trial Network, the prosecution and defense reiterated their main points. Defense attorney Barry Barisette emphasized how the state of Florida failed to fulfill the burden of proof to show that his client actually committed the crime. He drove home the points that there was not sufficient physical evidence connecting Ashley directly to the crime, and money was not a viable motive for someone who was already wealthy. In addressing the jury, Barrosette said, When you consider the evidence and the burden the state has, I ask you to do your duty in this case, because there is a reasonable doubt and I ask you to return a verdict of not guilty. Assistant State Attorney Bridget Jensen spoke about how Ashley's back injuries were not severe enough to impede her from moving the body of a woman of the same stature. She also reminded the jury of the defendant's background in crime scene analysis and how she did such a great job of covering up the crime. Even cadaver dogs at the crime scene had difficulty locating a body. Jensen ended by stating, Ladies and gentlemen, Ashley MacArthur had a motive. She had the opportunity. She murdered Taylor Wright. And then she tried to cover it up with lies, concrete, and potting soil. The jury deliberated for over two hours before landing on a guilty verdict for the charge of first-degree murder. 42-year-old Ashley MacArthur was sentenced to life in prison with a mandatory 25 years served. As it turned out, Taylor had given Ashley, someone she considered a close friend, over $30,000 to set aside temporarily for safekeeping while she and her ex-husband were fighting in court over assets. But instead of keeping Taylor's money out of Jeff's hands, Ashley claimed it for herself. Ashley told Taylor she would put a cashier's check in her safety deposit box to keep the money safe. Unbeknownst to Taylor, however, Ashley deposited the money into her own checking account. Likely, this was the money that she was using to buy her boyfriend expensive gifts. Throughout the months of August and September of 2017, Taylor was ready to get her money back from Ashley. But every time she asked for it, Ashley would just blow her off. On the last day that Taylor hung out with Ashley, 
She was determined to get her money back and was not going to take no for an answer. Unfortunately, that would never come to be, as Ashley silenced her friend, Taylor, forever. ABC3 News Pensacola, the news outlet that provided extensive coverage on this case, asked Taylor's aunt, Joan Huskins, if she was happy with the outcome of trial. She said, It does not give closure, does not make it better or change anything with the love of my family and her friends who loved her. We are living our lives, but she was just too young, too young. She shouldn't have been taken this early through such cruel and evil behavior. No outcome would bring Taylor back, but in the end, Ashley MacArthur did not get away with murder, despite her very best efforts. Ashley is currently carrying out her sentences for fraud, racketeering, and first-degree murder at Florida State Prison. As for Taylor... Her memory is kept alive in the hearts of those who knew and loved her. The Facebook page Justice for Taylor Wright currently has over 900 followers. It was initially created in April of 2018 by Taylor's family as a way of generating interest in Taylor's disappearance. Today, it is a community of Taylor's loved ones sharing memories of her while commiserating their sudden and tragic loss. In remembering Taylor, Nancy Murchison remarked how wonderful it was to have been her foster mom. She told ABC3 News, She was a great mother, really loved him. She loved her family and her brothers, and she loved me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Check out Murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish merch like t-shirts, face masks, and more. If you can't get enough of the show, subscribe to our Patreon service to get immediate access to bonus content only available to Patreon subscribers. There's a link to go behind the scenes and become a Patreon subscriber at Murderish.com. Thank you to Anne-Marie H. and Melanie C. for becoming Patreon subscribers I appreciate you both. If you haven't joined the Murderish Facebook discussion group, do it. We have so much fun in there. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. I've been doing a lot of interactive Q&As on IG stories. So follow me on Instagram at MurderishPodcast if you want to participate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, tell a friend about Murderish or write a review in your favorite podcast app. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John and Jessica Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music is by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Stick around after the closing music to hear a promo for a podcast you should check out. It's called Crime at Our Roots. You'll also hear a list of sources used for this episode after the podcast promo. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish.
Hey everyone, I'm Phyllis and I'm from Cameroon. I'm Aziza and I'm from Sierra Leone. And I'm Monique and I'm from Cameroon. We are three besties bringing you an intense African true crime podcast. We bring you three crazy crime cases each week, filling your day with suspense. Taking you to different countries on the beautiful continent of Africa each week, even the countries you probably didn't know existed. Because contrary to popular belief, there are 54 of them, and we will give you an interesting fact about each and every one. With some cases you've likely never heard before. The stories we cover go from heartbreaking, solved, unsolved, to absolutely ridiculous. We have a love for true crime and want to share some stories with you from our roots because every victim has a story to tell. We are available on all podcast platforms. Come check us out. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. See ya! Sources for this episode include a 2019 Equine Helper article by Carmela Abel at equinehelper.com, an August 29, 2019 ABC3 Wear TV article by Danielle Apollinar at wearetv.com, an August 27, 2019 ABC3 Wear TV article by Danielle Apollinar at wearetv.com, an August 30, 2019 ABC3 Wear TV article by Lainita Carter and Danielle Apollinar at wearetv.com, an October 25, 2017 News 5 WKRG article by Brad Gunther at WKRG.com, an August 30th, 2019 Law and Crime Network article by Alberto Luperon at LawandCrime.com, an October 20th, 2017 ABC3 Wear TV article by Allie Norton at WearTV.com, an October 21st, 2017 People.com article by Marie Paschini. An October 1st, 2020 production by Oxygen Network by Sharon Lynn Pruitt. A November 8th, 2017 print article by Kevin Robinson in the Pensacola News Journal. A February 21st, 2019 Pensacola News Journal article by Kevin Robinson. An August 31st, 2019 print article in the Pensacola News Journal by Colin Warren Hicks. An August 30th, 2019 production by Court TV at CourtTV.com, an Associated Press October 20th, 2017 article in the Seattle Times at SeattleTimes.com, a YouTube video dated October 27th, 2019 by the Law and Crime Trial Network at YouTube.com, a YouTube video by the Law and Crime Trial Network dated August 27th, 2019 at YouTube.com. A YouTube video by the Law and Crime Trial Network dated August 28, 2019 at YouTube.com. Another YouTube video dated August 28, 2019 by the Law and Crime Trial Network at YouTube.com. A YouTube video by Law and Crime Trial Network dated August 29, 2019 at YouTube.com. Another YouTube video dated August 30, 2019 by the Law and Crime Trial Network at youtube.com. One last YouTube article by Law and Crime Trial Network dated August 30th, 2019 at youtube.com.